If you're, if you're just tuning in, um, you're tuning into what's nearing the end of a year-long series on Jesus, on getting to know him and what he was about. And last week being Easter, we got to talk about his resurrection. And I love the fact that we sang Up From The Grave He Arose, which is like traditionally an Easter song that you sing on Easter. But we're still going to be spending this week, last week, this week, and many weeks thinking about his resurrection. And in particular how his resurrection um, changed the lives of those who first witnessed it and lived through it, and how their first days living among the resurrected Jesus on earth uh, changed and challenged the ways that they understood their mission and who they were as a people. And so we're getting into the nitty-gritty of church as well, asking what did they understand, the resurrection witnesses, what did they understand about doing community, community together, and how does that challenge us as well? So, uh, I thought I would start off with, this isn't me, but this could, could be, no, no, yeah, there we are. This could, be, this could have been a picture of an eight-year-old Keith. Uh, I was sort of, uh, if you had to like, get a snapshot of what most of my memories were as a kid, it would be down in my basement, watching cartoons, playing Legos by myself. And I'm not here to like make you feel sorry for me. I had a good childhood. It was a, it was a, it was a good childhood. Uh, but uh, I was you know I had an older sister among my cousins. I was the only boy, and they were all all a bit older. And so I spent a lot of time playing by myself with with little Legos and little figurines, and you know talking to one another, creating stories. And because of that, if you know me today, this explains a lot about me. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, when, when, when I get into, like, uh, life, when I get into kind of the challenges of life, or even when, I don't, even when life is just easy, oftentimes I'm living inside of my head. You know, I've got, I've got this narrative. They call us introverts, but I'm not sure exactly what that is. Uh, you know, all, life goes on inside your head, and you, you're always thinking, you're always, you're always processing, and you've got uh, storylines and... and uh, ideas coming across inside of your head. And because of that, because that's, that's sort of how I've been formed and who I am, um, you know, oftentimes, and I, I always wonder if my parents end up tuning in. Mom and Dad, sorry if this offends you. Um, they're not here. They're in, in, in Illinois, but sometimes they tune in. You know, be, because of that, I sort of deal with some of the, the, the uh, I don't know what you call it, the clinical effects of what you call neglect, Okay, we can erase that off, right? <laughs> you know, you, you, kids, kids who go through neglect, what they, they, they really need a lot of validation. You know, like they, they thrive, even though they can hold it together and come across as sort of put together adults and individuals. Like when someone gives you a validation for something you do, like it just really makes my day. And, and when it doesn't come, I've learned, I've had to learn to have to just calm down and realize, okay, life goes on. Um, and, you know, people-pleasing dynamic has come up with, with neglect. And then just these sort of senses of how do, I, how do I relate to other human beings? It's not always easy for me. So, uh, you know, as we get into the senses of community, I understand, I understand. Um, as we get into this idea of community and what community is all about... You know, I, I am the first one to raise my hand and go, you know what, this isn't easy for me. Getting to be vulnerable with other people and having to process 
and not bring my own sort of patterns of neglect to relationships. It's not easy. It's a real challenge for me. And so uh, when, I, when I preach this sermon today, you know, I'm preaching it to me as well. Um, and so asking the question about uh, community and relationship and, and what that means for our Christian, Christian community, uh, you know, looking back to the earliest followers and going, what did they know about community uh, that, that we should know too? There we go. Uh, but the first place to start, and I promised you that I'd get real this week, the first place to start is with how church and community can be frustrating. It can be overwhelming. It can be challenging and messy. And um, <laughs> I'm going to, you know, I, I, when, when, I, when I preached a, a few months ago on Jesus' teaching, I, I prefaced it with this. Jesus' teachings are hard. They're challenging. And we always have to see it in terms of Jesus as a healer. Jesus was always going about asking, how can I heal and free and bring someone into wholeness? And sometimes it means that he says stuff that we don't like. And it's hard and it's challenging and it, and it, and it puts us on, on the, our heels. And so we always have to remember that Jesus is a healer. And just so I, when, I, when I go into this, remember, I want the best for you. I'm going to say a few things that might step on your toes right now. Um, but sometimes, sometimes people go, you know, why don't people come to church more? Why don't they engage more with Christian community? Uh, and, and, and you get these answers like, well, maybe people are just busy. Maybe they've got a lot going on in life. Or maybe it's that uh, they're out there sinning and they don't want people telling them what to do and they don't want God's presence in their life and so they stay far away from church. Okay, those are just the, the answers that we give so we don't have to be real of why people don't come to church and why, don't, why don't they, they don't engage. And so, I forget what slide, yeah, this is what's next. So, I'm going to get into this today a little bit and I'm just going to be forthright with you, vulnerable here, saying I don't fully have this figured out. I was like, Five minutes before the, the service started, right back in the back office going, this, God, I don't really know how to say this without feeling like I'm just going to be stepping on everyone's toes and offending people and, and not really, and not really um, you know, speaking to people. But he's just like, just say it anyway. You're in process. They're in process. We'll figure this out together. So look, here's the question before we get into the scriptures. Why don't people come to church? And why don't people like to engage in Christian community? And actually, we're going to begin on this slide. This is a slide that, that symbolizes to me this thing called individualism. We like to be and do things on our own. We like to be people who are strong and put together and who uh, don't have to be weak and vulnerable and expose ourselves to other people. It's just not natural. It's just difficult for whatever reason um, we like to be the ones who can scale the mountain and be there on top by ourselves and pat ourselves on the back. We don't like leaning on other people and really truly exposing ourselves and actually needing them to succeed. Uh, this is, you know, a whole pattern in our, in our society. It's, it's, um, it's the way that our culture defines us and shapes us. And, um, and what this means ultimately is that we walk around... Uh, and you can sort of, you could sort of see this, I don't know, when you relate with other people at church. Like, um, you know, how are you doing today? You see each other in the corridors. Oh, I'm good. You know, this happened in my life and this has happened in my life. And, and what happens is we go about getting these sort of roles that we play with one another where we don't really 
want to give up the deeper places of ourselves. Now, I'm going to get to this later, but there's, you, know, you don't want to go around telling your, your deepest things to someone in the lobby who you barely know. Like that's, that's, you don't have to do that. That's not what church is about. There are places for that. Um, but I think deep down inside of us, when we, um, when we want to make sense of our life and who we are, we like to know that we don't really have to depend on other people. So that's point one. Uh, you know, we can over-spiritualize. Why don't people come to church? Well, this is a place where if you're going to be real with people, if you're going to change, like, you're going to have to open up. You're going to have to get a little bit vulnerable with certain groups of people. And I think people know that, and they're like, oh, do I really want that? Is that really safe? Uh, do, do, you know, can I really open myself up in that way? And then, and then they sort of struggle to, struggle to know how to engage. Um, I love this quote. I'm going to be do, putting a couple of quotes up here today by an author named David Benner from a book called Sacred Companions. It's a really good book. He says this, It's impossible to offer genuine presence to one another if I'm simply an assortment of roles. Am I, what, what role am I playing? Am I a pastor? Have I have my pastor hat on? Am I strong, a strong shoulder on which someone can lean hat? Um, am, I, am I, you know, what role do you play in people's lives? Uh, often we wear our personas like a mask, each for the correct occasion. The performance is so well rehearsed that we fail to be aware that it is a performance. But it is. We, we you know, th- let, let's be real. We oftentimes walk around this place, and even in our small group settings, with personas on. And we play the roles that we're meant to play, and that's it. Uh, the, second, the second piece, other than individualism, is consumerism. And consumerism is basically this. It's... Um, I see life as a product. I see my relationships as a product. I go around and, um, you know, this is sort of complex and how it all works. And we went through this a couple months ago, or a couple months or so ago, with, with how this works in our individual lives. Uh, it's, uh, you know, my relationships. If they fail me, I treat them like another product. And I get rid of it and I move on rather than a deep, enduring forgiveness. If someone hurts me, if someone does something wrong to me, I just, you know what? Fine, I'm moving on. Rather than the deep, enduring forgiveness that Jesus calls us into. Or um, same with God. If we have a sense that God has failed us, we treat him like a product. And we're like, okay, if, you can't, if, you can't, if I can rely on God, I'm going to move on to something else. Uh, and church is the same way. If church fails us, if church, if we don't like how it's going, if we don't like uh, the, the, you know, the decisions being made, if we don't like how certain aspects are, we think, well, I'm just going to go to find another, find another church, find one that I like. You know, and that, that lasts for a while. If you can stay anonymous and you don't really have to be known by someone. Uh, but the, re- the, the reality is, and you know, I've learned this over my life, is that all churches are messy. And, the, and, the, and if they're doing it well, if they're actually trying to be vulnerable and open up to one another and do church well, it's going to be all the messier and all the more challenging. Um, and so, uh, and here, here's the thing, when it hits, you know, it's, this is a communal factor. You know, we, we, we're trained to think I'm going to move on if I don't like how things are. But then, you know, consumerism hit, hits each and every one of our individual lives. And listen, like... I know a number of people in this church and a number of these families pretty well by now, and I'm, I count myself among them. 
You know, sometimes our families are so caught up in our dysfunctions that it's so hard to even begin to engage in community. We think, oh gosh, you know, like, man, I just went through two months and my marriage has been on the rocks. Or I've just gone through, you know, uh, a certain phase of, of my life and I bought this thing that I thought was going to make life fun, but you know what? Now I'm working 80 hours a week to have to pay it off. <laughs> or, you know, what is it the, 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 the ways that consumer, you know, I, I, see, I see folks, you know, um, and myself including buying things and, um, and investing in things and I think, you know, it, it may seem like an important thing to do or a wise thing to do, but then it, it consumes the life. It consumes the life out of us. And uh, so our relationships, our products, our things that we invest in, uh, it, make it, it makes it really difficult to have extra time and energy. And this is where, you know, I go back to this particular slide here. Just, you know, how many, how many other than me, how many people feel like that's, the, that's their agenda? That's the stuff they've got to figure out how to do in life. <laughs> I felt one honest person out there. Um, our lives get so busy and so filled with our investments and the things that we're wanting to invest in. So I think that, that, that yeah, you know, I'm not, again, we're not, I'm not talking about church that, you know, you have to be at church all the time and church is everything you do and, you know, serve in 17 different ways at church. I'm just talking about uh, getting our lives in order, our personal lives in order enough that we can invest in some of the most important uh, parts of our faith, which is Christian community. So, um, there are all these things that come together that make, this is funky today, all these things together that, that make church frustrating. And here's what you get, and this is where I just got to be real. You know, you come into church and you think, well, there's a few people who know each other and they're friends, and you know, uh, there's probably somewhere a group of people who are like, like really good friends in the inner core of the church and people who, who are loving it. What you get in a church setting, and I think because grassroots has grown a little bit over the last many years, we've, we've struggled. Because what, what, what's really happening, I think, in this, you know, in this lobby area before and after church and in our personal lives, is you have a lot of people who are, who are struggling to hold their lives together, who... Uh, who don't know and don't know they want to be vulnerable with each other and who are sort of uh, just figuring out how to, how to get, keep this place going. And so you have a lot of invulnerable, invulnerable people with smiles on their faces who are so busy that they don't even know how to keep their own personal lives together. And that's, that's you know, this is the mess of church life that we have. And if you feel like, Man, like there's, everyone's got, everyone feels in here and gets it. Like, I would say that if, if you took a poll, I would say that 90% of people feel like they're not really sure if they have a place or that they're really, that they're really, that they really have deep friendships here. Um, so, you know, this, you walk around and you wonder, you know, what you're seeing. That's what you're seeing. You're seeing a group of people who, who are just really figuring out how to, to, to do church and have a, do it in a way that's sustainable and doing it in a way that's transformative and struggling to know, and you see it. I mean, like, I, I talk to people, and how are you doing, Keith? And then I'll you know, talk. I play my role as pastor, and I don't really share too much. And, and then I look, you know, and then I look. This is an exception today. 
Um, and then, you know, I look in their eyes, how are they doing? They share a little bit of stuff they're doing. And you see this look, I, and I, I just, I've learned to recognize it. It's, am I going to be brave enough to really say? And I see it coming back at me. Can I really say how I'm feeling? And, and, and you know, uh, you know and, and I'd love for us, I'd love for us as a community, as messy as this is, to grow a little bit in our ability to trust and to open up to one another and to uh, find relationships that maybe we wouldn't even, you know, people who are not like us or people who, you know, we wouldn't necessarily feel comfortable around, uh, knowing how to relate with them. And so, uh, all that to say, uh, I think there's some lessons that these early Christians can teach us in their, um, in their experience with the risen Christ. And uh, we'll, we'll jump into this. So, as you remember last week, there's a group of women, women disciples of Jesus, who got up really early on Sunday morning after Jesus was crucified. And he... Um, and uh, they, they came to the tomb. They didn't know what they were going to expect. They thought Jesus was going to be there. His body lay d- uh, dead still. They were going to anoint him. And then the, when they got there, the stone was rolled away, and there was a couple angels saying, he, don't, don't you know, he's not here. He's been raised from the dead. He's, uh, he's um, going to go on to Galilee, and he's going to appear to you, and you go tell the disciples, the apostles, that that's going to happen. And so... Um, Jesus then, uh, after, after all this, goes about for the next 40 days appearing like in a resurrected, new type of glory. We'll say it that way. His body still has the nail marks that, uh, that he was crucified with in, in him. And that somehow his body was different. He could walk through closed, locked doors. And he did so in a way that made his disciples think that it was just a ghost. Uh, and so what this means is that Jesus' new body, his resurrected body, he's come fully back to life, and he is at home now, both in the seen world on earth and the unseen world in heaven. He can exist, he's at home in both of those worlds in ways that you and I aren't. You know? uh, and so uh, he goes about appearing. He appears, appears to Mary Magdalene first, and then to Peter. And what's interesting is the Bible doesn't give us this uh, story. He appears to Peter before many others. It's just this little note in the Gospel of Luke that he appeared to Peter at some point. And then two, unto two people on the road to Emmaus, and then to his 11 disciples together, then to 500 people, and then to his little brother, James, and then to Paul in a, in a vision uh, on the road to Emmaus. So Jesus goes about in, uh, appearing to people. And so today what we're going to talk about is uh, his appearance to Mary and the two on the road to Emmaus. And so here's how it goes. Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. So she, there she is at the tomb, and she's outside, sad. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting there where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid them. I mean, Mary is, I, I love Mary's response here. Mary is like so devoted to Jesus. She loves him so much, but she's so, such in a fog of her sense of duty that she can, she can barely even think straight. 
I mean, she's, um, you know, think of someone in life who just needs to go around and control every situation they're in, and they feel like their responsibilities in life are the most important thing they have to do, and they're just frantic about it. They can't even think outside of this box, but they're so, they've got these blinders on to the bigger picture. This is Mary right now. She's frantic. Uh, they can't figure out. They've taken his body. Jesus says, has, 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 has preached to her and his disciples many times, I'm going to raise from the dead. She's not getting it. Oh, they've taken him. They must, they must have taken him. And if, if you're someone who, and we'll talk about this more next week, but if you're someone who the message of the risen Lord Jesus makes you go, I, you're saying words I understand, but I don't quite get what you're saying. You're among good company with the early disciples. They, it took them a while to figure this out. And so she was so frantic, they've taken away my Lord, and I do not where, know where they have laid him. But here's a beautiful thing about Mary in her franticness, in her messy, blinded situation, is that she's crying. She's being real. She's being genuine. She's not trying to hide her emotions or keep herself composed together. She's just putting it out there. And I think that there's something very profound here about Mary Magdalene willing to be herself. And the gift of community, the gift of you being you and me being me and relating to one another, whether it's passing in the hallway or whether it's in a home group setting or in a coffee setting, she didn't have to hold back the tears. She didn't have to be someone else. Uh, genuine spiritual friendship, the kind with which we hope to achieve in Christian community, has as its first priority the willingness to be real. And this cuts across every single experience we have with one another. We don't have to be fake with one another. We don't have to sort of put on a good show and not be genuine. Again, you know, we, don't, we always just spill everything off to everyone that we see. Um, but when it comes down time to it, it's okay to be real. It's okay to cry. It's okay to not be put together. It's okay to have questions and, and, uh, and uh, let, each other know, let each other know that. Um, so there she was, crying outside the tomb, being real, not holding anything back, um, and Jesus comes up behind her. This is the first time he appears to anyone after his resurrection. He comes up behind her and says, Woman, why are you weeping? Um, oh, I've got some quotes here. I'll go back to that. When, when uh, she had said this to the angels, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. We don't know if he was disguised. He probably was disguised. He probably, he had this power where he could like make himself not quite seen or understood, um, and he used it. So she turned around. Maybe, maybe she was just seeing through her blurry tears, but maybe it was something more mysterious than this. She didn't know it was him. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? And she thought that he was the gardener. Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And this, the second point that we get out of this that we have to take seriously is that Jesus shows up in Christian community and in our lives all the time. Jesus is with us, but he's hidden. We can't quite see him. We're not quite sure that he's there. And we need one another to help discern that, to help figure out what God is doing in our life. And here's, you know, it's just striking that Mary's alone. She's not with anyone. 
She doesn't have someone helping her at that moment to recognize Jesus. She's just, she's alone. And so she, uh, she's in her vulnerability, and she's like, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary, and she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabuni, which means teacher. <laughs> wow. Mary. All he's had to say is one word. Mary. Look at the intimacy there. Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabuni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, don't hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced this to the disciples. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. So here's the thing. Like, if we need one another and if we need relationships so badly in our Christian life, um, then why was Jesus like, don't hold on to me. Don't touch me. <laughs> Almost like, and I think it's this. You know, you look at his earthly ministry. Jesus, Jesus allowed people of all sorts to touch him and to depend upon him. There was, there was women who would come and kiss his feet and cry their tears of sorrow on his feet and wipe his hair, wipe his feet with their hair, and Jesus let them. There, there were women who would anoint Jesus, um, put perfume on him to, um, to prepare him for his suffering. And his disciples were like, oh, why would, why would you let them do that? That's so expensive. We could have said a lot. We could have used that money for something better. And Jesus said, well, this woman was doing exactly what she needed to do and, and show her devotion to me and prepare me for my suffering. Um, Jesus let his followers depend on him all, all this time. But now he's, he's going to heaven. He's going away. And what does he do? Mary, you should come with me to heaven. It would be great. Run off with me. No, he doesn't do that. Mary, go and set up you know, yourself by yourself you know, in a hermitage somewhere, and I'll come there, and we'll, I'll keep ministering to you. Oh, by, by the way, I should get into this um, just quickly here, because sometimes we watch the History Channel, and we're like, and we read the Dan Brown novels, and we think, oh, Mary and Jesus were probably, you know, girlfriend and boyfriend, or whatever. Um, that, that idea comes from, you have to read, like, these uh, first, first and second century extra writings, which you know, if you're interested in this, we'll, I'll take you out for coffee. Uh, I got a PhD in this stuff. Uh, I will bore you with it. Uh, but it comes from a gospel in which Jesus says, um, a, a, an extra gospel, which the early Christians, you know, the ones who followed Jesus didn't, knew that it didn't come from Jesus. It came from someone else. Someone else wrote it. Uh, and, and it said, well, uh, Jesus loved, loved Mary loved, and loved her deeply. That's, that's the word. He loved her deeply. And so, you know, our modern-day fantasies, we just make this whole idea that Jesus and Mary were, were lovers. But uh, the next sentence then in that book says, uh, and the 12 disciples, Jesus loved deeply. <laughs> so either there's some really weird stuff going on, or he just loved them deeply out of his heart which that's, that's what we get in, in the Gospels. He had this deep, deep love for them. And yet, here he's saying, Mary, I know that you've relied upon me all, all this time. I know that you love me and I love you. But I'm going somewhere where you can't, you can't rely on me like, like you have. You're going to have to go do this with community now. You're going to have to go relate this way with the disciples. He sends back to the disciples, don't hold on to me. And I think in our lives as Christians, as we go through really difficult things, we, need, we always need to be linked up with Jesus. We need to be in relationship and leaning on him. 
But that's not, it's not enough. That's not how he's created us. We need other people, other people to lean upon and to cry with and to go through life with and journey with. And so uh, he's saying, all right, I know we've had this relationship married, but now you have to go figure that out with these guys. And if you've read the stories about the disciples, you know they weren't easy to relate with. And now Mary has to go back and figure that out. So this is the scene, setting it up. Um, this is the last time, actually, in all of the, the writings that we see Mary Magdalene. She doesn't show up again in the, in the scriptures. Uh, but she goes and she tells the disciples um, what she, uh, Jesus said to them. I'm going to go back here a little bit because there are a couple quotes. Sorry. Genuine presence is from that book, Sacred Companions. Just genuine presence involves being genuinely myself. It is simply being my full, authentic self and then setting this self aside as I seek to create a place within myself where I can receive another person. This is community. This is what Mary is going to have to figure out. This is what we have to figure out as well. Genuinely being present with one another in the way that Jesus was genuinely present with his disciples. It, it involves taking care of yourself and figuring out who you are and having a peace within you so you can be present to other people and then learning to give that away so that other people can be made well as, as, as well. So being genuine, being genuine with one another means that, um, that what I say I mean and I believe. It also means that what I show I feel, not pretending. But what I do communicate, I genuinely feel, believe and think. This is a challenge to all of us. We, um, we're really good at saying what we don't mean. We're really good at um, uh, showing things that we don't feel. And, and as, you know, we get to avoid conflict and we get to avoid messiness and we get to avoid all of that when we're fake with one another or we think one thing and, you know, we're annoyed on the inside and smiling on the outside. Um, it's easier that way. But let me tell you, it just doesn't go well in the long term. It creates these false senses of community, false senses of um, what's real and what's not real. We, and, and, we, and we do begin to wonder, are people, telling, are, are people talking about are, are me behind my back? Is like what they're saying to one another about me, what they're saying to me? And if we're going to do this, if Christian community is going to go anywhere, um, we have to grow in our ability to say, to one another what we mean. Now, again, we're not just, I'm just going to tell you everything I think. I'm going to have some wisdom about that. But I'm not going to put on some sort of show around you if I feel, um, if I feel differently than that. So, being genuine. And, and this next point here as well. Um, contemporary discussions of the soul often place the emphasis on the care of one's own soul. While this is important, the emphasis in Christian soul care is always on the care of the soul of others. The care of souls is an act of neighbor love. Uh, you know, you hear a lot of people going, well, I, you know, I, I have a hard time engaging in community because I'm so unwell myself. I've got, you know, I, I could barely hold my life together. I can barely hold my family together. And uh, I got to take care of myself. And yeah, I mean, self-care, we have, to, we, we have to be on the road to wholeness. We, have to, we can't just extend ourselves way beyond the means. But self-care, in its essence, actually 
goes against the grain of the gospel, which is other care. So, you know, these, these, these excuses we give ourselves of why can't we engage, why can't we uh, give to community because I've got to take care of myself actually isn't, isn't Christian. Uh, Christian. The Christian version is um, always asking, how can I take care of the souls of others? And so, um, you know, you can see this with, between Mary and Jesus. Jesus is always constantly willing to give himself to care for other people, uh, even after his death and resurrection. Uh, and he's teaching, he's going to teach his disciples to do the same. So we get to the second story. Mary, Mary goes and who knows what happens to her. We don't, we don't have the ending of her story. Uh, but then we have two other disciples who we never meet again. Uh, one of them is named Cleopas. And they're, they're, uh, they heard Mary's message. This is the same day. Mary goes and, and sees Jesus. And the same day, um, uh, these two, they, they hear her message. He's ra- raised. We don't get it. Uh, let's, and then some disciples go to the tomb. And they find it empty, but Jesus is not there. And so these two disciples are, are uh, they're, they're leaving town. They're hightailing it out of town. Okay, he's dead. There's some weird stuff that Mary's saying, but we're going we're gonna to leave. And Jesus shows up among them as a traveler. And the conversation goes like this. Jesus, Jesus comes, and they don't recognize him. I think he's a fellow traveler. And Jesus says, well, what are you guys talking about as you go on your journey together? Uh, and they said, haven't you heard? Haven't, weren't you in Jerusalem for these last days? How could you not know what had just been happening? Uh, Jesus from Nazareth, who we thought was going to be our Messiah. We thought he was going to be the king. Uh, our own religious leaders, uh, they, they betrayed him and turned him into the Roman authority and they crucified him. And Jesus says to them, as if he's a stranger, are you guys so dull that you don't even know the scriptures? That the Messiah had to suffer, die, and be resurrected on the third day? Um, and so... Uh, he began, it says, opening their minds to the scriptures, going through the Old Testament, showing them how the Messiah had to suffer and die, going through Isaiah 53 about the suffering servant, and uh, going through various script, Old Testament scriptures that pointed to Jesus's, what Jesus had to suffer. And it was getting late, it was getting dark, and they, they got to Emmaus, the town of Emmaus, and they were going to lodge there, and they said, it's getting late, fellow traveler, why don't you come eat with us. And so uh, Jesus is like, okay. And they go inside and, and they're eating dinner. And as they're eating dinner, Jesus pulls off this magic trick. <laughs> or however he does it. He takes some bread, lifts it in the air, just like he did the night before he was suffered in the Last Supper, and breaks the bread. And it says, as he broke the bread, their eyes were opened and they realized it was Jesus the whole time. And then he vanishes. He's gone. Nowhere to be found. Right before their eyes. Um, slips into the heavenly, heavenly realm. And, uh, and they said, you know, can you imagine the response? This was Jesus with us. They said, weren't our hearts burning inside of us when he was among us? And, um, and this, is, this is so important for us because, um, you know, when push comes to shove and we deal with all the dynamics of our community and all the challenges, uh, we, we have to ask, our, you know, and we get to those places where, you know, is, it, is this really worth it to me? Is, is this really worth my time? 
Like, why should, you know, and that's when, when you, when you want to know how, when consumerism and individualism are working together in a church, you'll start hearing those, those, those phrases. Is this worth my time? That's, that's the telltale sign that that's what you got there. Or, um, you know, is this, I know I'm so busy, but it's hard to make it a priority. That's the, that you'll hear that as well. Uh, but if we're going to be aware of the hidden Jesus working in our life, if we're going to make any progress spiritually at all, it has to be in community. And it has to be with people who aren't like us. And it has to be with people who aren't part of our echo chamber, reinforcing everything we always believed anyway. We have to be willing to fellowship, to take journeys with one another, even when it's in times of deep sorrow. We have to be willing to help one another figure out where the hidden Jesus is working in our lives. And, and why? Why? You know, this is the, reason, the question. Why is this? And it's because what God is after in our life is to shape us into people who can love selflessly, love purely. And we, we can't just do that alone. We can't figure out how to, to, to be uh, people who give of ourselves sacrificially if we're always just by ourselves. We need, we need one another. We need people to, to um, teach us how to be, you know, how to have intimacy with each other how to be vulnerable with each other, how to, um, how to go about giving yourself in a way that, um, that isn't self-oriented. So why, why do we community, why do we do Christian community? Well, a major reason is, is because if we're isolated from it and if we're just on our own with our own friend groups and our echo chambers, we don't grow spiritually. Nobody does. And when you're off by yourself not engaging in this type of community, you're leaving someone else without another person to do it with as well. See, Christian community and why we engage in it isn't always about what we get out of it. It is about what someone else might need me um, to give to them and offer to them so that they might grow and figure out where Jesus is in their life. Um, Here we go. 11.37. Okay, we can do this. Church, um, you know these. These, um, if, if you if you read the the stories of the people who lived with Jesus in those forty days, and what they go doing, go about to do, something that really stands out is how they needed each other. And it says the first communities did four things together. Uh, they ate together, meals. They broke bread in each other's homes, and they prayed together. And they um, met as many needs as possible. And they studied the scriptures. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. And so that's the pattern with which we, um, we organize our church life as well. Uh, and so getting, practically, getting practical here, there's three, three spaces that we engage in community. One is Sunday mornings. The other is Thursday lunches. And the other is home groups. So I want to talk a little bit about each of those. Um, Sunday mornings. How do we do community on Sunday mornings? Sunday mornings, unlike small groups and home groups, is a public space. We come in here 
Uh, and, and, you know, this isn't really a space where anyone's trying to link you up with someone else, you know, make friends. That's why when pastors say things like, turn to your person sitting next to you and tell them the fight that you've had with your spouse recently. Or tell them what you're going through. Some churches do that. I think, honestly, I think some, you know, that, that is uh, betraying some of the public space, which is this setting. Um, this isn't a space that you're meant to come to a deep friendship and, and vulnerability with people around you. Now, in a church this size. Uh, so on Sunday mornings, we need one another not just to learn how to relate to one another, but we need one another because praying together and worshiping together for an hour is impossible by ourselves. <laughs> I, I can barely do it. Uh, but with some, when, when musicians have come and practiced and put a set, song set together for you, when I've prepared a sermon, uh, sitting here for an hour, an hour and a half, is a lot easier. And coming into the presence of God, it's a lot easier together. It just is. And so we, we need one another to keep ourselves focused and worshiping once a week like this. Um, so when you come in here, um, you know, don't, don't feel like you're missing the boat if you're not creating intimate relationships in this space. You're not going to. It's not possible. Uh, that's not what we're here for. But when, when church ends at, well, today, at 1150, um, at 1152, this, this space transforms. It's no longer public. It's social space. It's where, it's where if you linger, you get a chance to catch up with people. And so, you know, I, I like to joke sometimes that, you know, I, I never really get an eye, but sometimes I see folks beelining it out of here. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but the reason why people do is because they know, they sense it's coming. If I stay here, someone's going to talk to me. <laughs> I don't want that. Um, but if you're someone who wants someone to talk to you, if you want to be known and slowly make yourself known in a community like this, feel free to linger. Don't, don't be lying out of here. Find, uh, even if it's awkward for a little bit, um, if someone doesn't approach you in the first five minutes, it's this community's to have dropped the ball on you. Um, so friends, look around. Is there other people that you, have, that you don't know lingering by a wall or you know, kind of trying to figure out? After two minutes, you know, before two minutes, you know, let them be lying. Don't, you don't have to chase them down. Um, but if they're lingering and you can see they want to be known, and go up and say, hi, who, who are you? Let's get to know each other. What do you like? What kind of things are you interested in? What, uh, you want to know more about the church? Uh, if someone's here after two minutes, they want to be talked to. Um, and it's a social space. Thursday lunches are a social space as well. Uh, most, most Thursdays, uh, there's a, just a small group of people that, because the building's open, gather here for lunch, and anyone's welcome. Come and bring your lunch. Um, and this is a chance just to socialize. There's no Bible study. There's no spiritual stuff. It's just a chance to socialize. And you think, well, what's the value of that? Well, let me tell you, in this day and age where we don't socialize with one another, we've lost the, the skill. <laughs> it's hard to know how to relate with people face to face. And this is just a chance to practice. We tell stories. We laugh together. We say our likes and dislikes talk about our hobbies. Uh, everyone's welcome. And that's, it's an important space. It's not a, a valueless space, uh, especially when folks who, are, who come uh, who may not have that space anywhere else in their life to be known and to know someone else like that. But the third space is home groups. Uh, and if you're not in a home group, this isn't uh, a shaming 
session here. Uh, if you're not in a home group, um, it's okay. Uh, it, if, if, if you want to be known, and if you want to find that space where you are opening yourself up in ways that you, uh, you need one another to find the hidden Christ in your life, then home groups is the space, is the place for this. Uh, this is the place where it's a group of 12 to 14 adults who get together on a fairly regular basis. They open the scriptures together. They break bread in their homes. And they say to one another, uh, where is the hidden Christ in your life? What is God doing with you? What is, what, what is God doing with me? And by sharing our unique little testimonies, we're not, I, I tell groups, don't start off the groups by spending 14 weeks and everyone telling their whole testimony. Because by the time the you know, 14th week is over, I'll forget the first week. Uh, this isn't that. This is every week just many testimonies of what is God doing with me this week? What is, what is, uh, is happening in my heart? And by sharing our uniquenesses, it's amazing. We discover what we have in common. It's a way to pray with people and to, um, and to share, our, share your hearts and to share what's going on in your life. Um, and if you're not in a home group and you'd like to be in a home group, um, let me know. Come, come talk to me. Let me know. I, I, I'm, I, you know I, I do placements in home groups. Uh, I'm orchestrating that at the moment. Uh, I'd like to know if you want to be in a group. There, there, there is space and there will be space. Uh, now, I'll say this about home groups. Um, you know, if, if you are struggling with faith, if you, don't really, if you aren't really sure what, what you believe or, how, or, 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 um, or what it is that, that you're, that, um, you, don't, you don't have all the right answers, this is a perfect space. Home groups are meant to, um, they're designed in a way to lean more on questions than they are to give answers. There's no leader who's up there saying, uh, you know, I'm teaching you a bunch of stuff. Now you're the passive recipient. It's this conversation-based. And, um, and the, the leader's job is more to facilitate the conversations and get questions going than to have answers. So if you're someone who's like, I don't really know too much about the Bible. I don't really know if this would be worth my time. Uh, if, you don't, if you're not engaged in this way uh, in your faith life anywhere, you will slowly fade. Your faith will slowly diminish, and you will go through that long fade uh, that, that, um, that we know as sort of uh, the, the, the death of, of the faith life. When you go through challenging times, when life gets very difficult, if you don't have a group of people who are ready to listen and not judge and uh, give you a safe space to share, uh, your faith will stall out. It, you know, if you want to grow at all spiritually, you've got to be with people who aren't like you and who aren't just reinforcing everything that you already know. You, it's just, that's just the way it works. Uh, so home groups. Uh, if you want to be in a home group, let me know in two weeks' time, next, next, well, next Thursday, not this upcoming Thursday, but the next Thursday, there's a dessert night here that we host. Uh, if you're just interested in learning more about home groups, come to that and... Uh, there's no commitment necessary at that point. That's, you're not signing up if you come. You're just getting to know more. Uh, so here, here's the last few points. Um, community. Needing one another. Vulnerability. 
Make space in your life for others. If, if there's not space in your life for others and you're just going about your, your tasks and responsibilities, true space, not where you're just sort of fake listening, but space for others to get inside of, of you, to, making space to, uh, to let, let others go through what they're going through, um, you're missing it. Uh, this space needs to be marked by stillness and safety and love and genuineness. In home groups, in communities, if you're, if you're just surface, if you're not um, creating that safe space for people, it's not working. Um, you gotta, you gotta, gotta figure out how to create the space for safety, stillness, and love. Um, prayerfully listen to one another in home groups. Ask questions, don't feel like you always need to give the answers. Now share your spiritual experiences. Give support and encouragement. I, I'm, I'm gonna start saying, and I think this is true, uh, if home groups aren't the place where you feel closest to God, then they're not quite there yet. Well, that's my experience. When I'm in a good, good home group, um, I feel closest to God among a group of people who are sharing their perspectives. Um, so friends, um, there's a lot of reasons why to do church. And there's a lot of, I don't know, good reasons why people don't do it. Um, I think the reasons why don't pe- people don't do it really boil down to um, their own life being challenging, boils down to they're not sure if they can trust themselves vulnerably with other people, and um, they're not even sure that they, they can trust other people with their faith journey. Uh, but if you're, not, if you're not engaging in faith community in a way that gets down into home groups where people know you and can look past the, the mask, then you're not going to be able to grow spiritually, and neither are they. So um, find your way into small communities of people who share the faith. And uh, Grassroots has it, and, uh, you know, it's, I would say we're about 50% there in terms of establishing the groups. Um, there's, eight, there's six groups going right now and 85 people here uh, participating. Uh, and so we're on our way. We're on our way there, and there are, there's space for you. Uh, if, if we're going to discover the hidden Christ among us, we need, need one another to be genuine and real. So uh, as we do every week, we bring ourselves to this table, this meal together. It's a family meal uh, where we uh, remember that Jesus was marked at the very core by selfless love, his genuineness and his ability to, um, to, to pass it on to others. So... Uh, Come and take a piece of bread and dip it in the juice as a symbol of, to say, God, not only do I want you, but I want to be part of a community of people who want you. So whatever it is that God said to you, I don't know what it is today, of all of this stuff that God spoke to you, what, 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 what's he saying to you right now? This is the moment that you can ask that question. What, what am I taking away? What is God really, really challenging me with? What is he saying to me? Um, what are my questions still? What are the things I don't really know what I think about or agree with? Uh, come on up, take a piece of bread, dip it in the juice, and let it be a prayer. And offer up whatever's on your heart to God today. So friends, the, um, thanks for sticking with it today. The uh, table is set, and uh, everyone here is welcome.